I love how um, we, that we just sang those words where we said, my heart will sing uh, no other name. Um, I know that we come here and we, we know that our mouths sing, our voices sing, but I love how the scripture talks about how our hearts sing. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that, that we should address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it says, making melody with the Lord, uh, making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so my prayer for you today is that as you come in, uh, my prayer is that your heart sings to the Lord today. Not just your mouth, not just your voice, your heart. And when the Lord captures your heart and when he lives within your heart, then your heart will sing to him. And my prayer is that you know him today. Do you know the Lord this morning? Do you know him? See your Savior this morning. I hope he is. And I pray that you are ready today to open up your heart to what he has to say to you from his word. So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to take it now and open it up to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, that's where we're going to be today. I want to just take a moment again and welcome everybody who's uh, here in the room today, everybody who's joining us online, perhaps listening to the live stream or listening online later. We are thankful to be able to open God's word with you this morning. We are going to continue our study in the book of Acts. We left off last week um, with the first half of Acts chapter 20. So when we pick up today, uh, a lot has happened leading up to this portion of the book of Acts. And so let me just give you the quick summary. Up until this point, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been going out into all the world. Jesus' disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And from that point forward, they were following Jesus' command to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then taking the gospel out to the Gentile uttermost parts of the earth. And so from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the Gentile parts of the world, the disciples were preaching, uh, the, the people were believing, and churches were starting all around. And now this, over the past several chapters, has been mainly happening through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know that he has completed two of his missionary journeys. We pick up here in Acts chapter 20 where he's on his third missionary journey. He's traveling through the regions of Asia Minor and Macedonia and Greece, and he's preaching the gospel. Um, He is on his way visiting these churches. He's collecting an offering to take uh, church support back to the church in Jerusalem who was hurting and suffering during this time. Um, As Paul's traveling back to Jerusalem, he made a stop, as we saw last week, in the city of Troas, where the, the, we had the story of the first boy who ever fell asleep in church, right? So nobody falls asleep during church today or you might just die. That was the lesson from last week, right? And so, uh, you know, we're going to pick up now where Paul has left Troas and he has made his way further toward Jerusalem. He stopped at a city called Miletus and that's where he's at today as we pick up. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 20. We're going to work our way from verse 17 down through verse 38. I just want to preach through it verse by verse. I'll make some teaching points along the way. We'll bring it home with some practical application at the end. And all of our application is going to tie into this uh, one idea that ties into the same idea we had last week. But here's our big idea for today. God reaches the world through the local church and calls elders to faithfully lead it. God reaches the world through the work of the local church and he calls elders to faithfully lead it. So today we're gonna continue to see scripture's emphasis on the ministry of the local church. That was uh, kind of our focus last week when we talked about how God does his work in the world through the local church and we are to devote ourselves to it. Today we're gonna talk about how elders are to faithfully lead it. So we're gonna pick up today in chapter um, 20, verse 17. Again, Paul is in Miletus on his way to Jerusalem, and here's 
what um, the, the scripture says. Verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul is in a place called Miletus. Um, you know, you may not be familiar with where this is, so let's just go ahead and put the map up on the screen and you guys can kind of see right in the middle of your screen, you can see the, the city called Miletus. Um, he's, he's there, he's asking the, the elders from the church that's in the city of Ephesus to come down and meet him. Ephesus is not shown on this map, but Ephesus is about 30 to 40 miles north. Um, and so Paul is saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make my way to Jerusalem. I want to go quickly. So as he traveled from Troas toward Jerusalem, he actually, he had his boat like pass by uh, Ephesus. And the reason why was because remember, um, he, last time he was in Ephesus, what happened? Uh, there was a bunch of trouble there. There was a, a mob that was formed and a riot that broke out. And he didn't want to be delayed by troubles in Ephesus again. So he passed by Ephesus. And uh, when he got to Miletus, he called the elders of Ephesus to travel down and meet him there. Now, we're going to be talking today about elders. And I want to make sure we all understand really who elders are. Uh, a lot of times when we, when we read the word elders in scripture or when we say the word elders, a lot of us just think old guys, okay? Uh, we're not talking old guys. Don't, don't put in, the mind, in your mind the picture of Scott Dixon, okay? Uh, it's all good. <laughs> He's sitting right back there. I had to get him. All right. Um, I love you, Scott. So the, you know, everywhere um, Paul went, he would preach, he would establish churches and then before he left, he would appoint elders to lead those churches. Now, sometimes the Bible calls them elders. Other times, he calls them overseers. Other times, in God's word, he refers to elders as shepherds or pastors. What I, I've, I've stated this before, but I just want to reiterate it again today. Elders, pastors, overseers, shepherds, those terms are all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament and, and in the scriptures. Elders, as we've seen, refer to an office, right? Elders and, and overseers refer to an office. It's a title. Pastors or shepherds, that refers to a function or a work that they do. So, so elders or overseers are to do the work of shepherding and pastoring. Shepherding and pastoring is to be done by those who are elders and overseers. I don't want you to be confused when you uh, read your Bible. I don't want you to be confused about the titles and the things that we have set up here uh, for our ministry leaders here at our church at UBC our elders do the pastoring and shepherding um, over the, the, the ministry over the entire church. And in fact, we actually don't use the word pastor for our other staff members who aren't elders. And that's because uh, we have several staff members whose scope of responsibility is not really to oversee the ministry of the entire church. They have more of a, a segment of their ministry. Um, and so if, if any staff member doesn't have the same responsibility, the same authority, the same function as the plurality of elders that we have here, then we don't believe those staff members should carry the title of pastor because elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd, all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, and they are the leaders of local congregations. So I just want to make sure that we're clear about who elders are before we start to talk about them. Um, very much as we, we see them emphasized here in this passage of scripture. So Paul is about to give a speech to the elders in the city of Ephesus. These, this is what's interesting. This particular speech from Paul 
It's his only speech delivered to a, a, a group of strictly believers. This is his only address towards those who are, um, we would consider a Christian audience. All of his other addresses are either in mixed audiences or unbelieving audiences. But here he's talking um, to church leaders about the ministry of the church. So I tell you that to say, there is some very specific stuff that we can learn from this text about what you guys should expect from the elders of our church, about what the elders um, are, are called to do and uh, on how to serve the Lord in the ministry of our church. So I hope that this text helps you know what to expect from your leaders and, and helps us as elders be reminded of our calling um, and our scriptural responsibility. So let's read what Paul says in this speech, starting in verse 18. It says that when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, right here, he begins his speech to the Ephesian elders by asking them to remember um, his time that he very uh, first spent with them, when he initially met them. Now, these events that are going on here in Acts 20, they are um, happening around 57 A.D., but the time that Paul first met them was closer to 54 A.D. He had interacted with them three years prior, okay? And he's, um, he's saying, remember all the things that happened when I first met you. The things that we read about back in Acts chapter 19, where Paul went and preached, and initially he preached in the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues in Ephesus. But then the Jews had trouble with that. They were getting frustrated by the people of the way. And so they wanted him removed from the Jewish synagogues. So what did Paul do? He ended up finding a different place to preach in the school of Tyrannus. He preached there for a couple years. While he was there, remember that it says in Acts 19 that the gospel was prevailing. The church was prevailing in Ephesus and in Asia, Asia Minor. And so the, uh, the unbelieving silversmiths and craftsmen, they got all upset that Paul and, and his message was taking effect and causing people to turn away from their idol worship. So what did they do? They formed a mob. They started a riot against uh, these these. Christians. And those are the trials that Paul is asking these Ephesian elders to remember. That's what he says in verse 19. He says, I want you to, to remember how I, um, how I served with humility and tears through the trials that happened to me. He wants the Ephesian elders to remember how he lived and conducted himself in the midst of those trials. How he shed tears how he lived with humility, how he didn't shrink back even though there was hostility coming against him, how he faithfully preached that message of repentance towards God where he called sinners to, to turn away from their life of sin and to turn towards God, to repent and turn towards living for him. And Paul is calling these Ephesian elders to consider his example. See, they knew Paul's life. They knew how he really lived on the preaching stage and off the preaching stage. They knew what he was like in public and in private. And here's the thing. Paul wasn't some celebrity church pastor who was well-known from the stage, but unknown in his personal life. These elders knew him. They observed his life. They spent three years together. They knew each other well. And guys, this is the, the heart of the, the Christian leader, right? He, he, he's not to view himself as having a position above the people, He's to understand himself as having a position among the people where he can be known, know others. People can see him. They know what he's like. 
His life is to be exemplary to them. Not sinless, but exemplary. And so Paul asks these Ephesian elders to remember his example and specifically to remember his example in the midst of the hardship and the difficulties that he faced because he's going to tell us what's coming up for him here in verse 22. He says, and now behold, verse 22, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul knows that the Holy Spirit has called him to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit. You know what that, that word constrained means? That word constrained means to be, to be bound up or, or taken captive. Um, if you get arrested, right, then you've been constrained. We might say that Paul was handcuffed to the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit went, Paul was attached. He wanted to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. It wasn't like an optional thing for him. He just wanted to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And he knew the Spirit was leading him to Jerusalem where more hardships were to come. And here's the truth that I want you to understand. A principle for you to understand right here. Sometimes the Holy Spirit may lead you down a hard road. But he will never lead you down the wrong road. Sometimes the Holy Spirit may lead you down a hard road but he will never lead you down the wrong road. Paul is being compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into a place that he knows is going to be difficult. And that's part of what makes us sometimes want to open our hearts to fully surrender to the Lord, isn't it? Where's he going to call us? It's like Jonah, you know. Call me anywhere, Lord, but Nineveh. So we have a little hesitancy in our hearts to to open up because the Lord may call us down a hard road. Oh yeah, we'll come to church and we'll sing the words, I surrender all. My heart is yours. But really what we mean is I I surrender all as long as it's on my little plan here, Lord. Uh, My heart is yours as as long as our hearts are lined up here, Lord, as long as you're on the same page with me. And we can kind of be resistant to fully open because sometimes we know, we know this in our hearts that sometimes uh, the Lord may call us down a hard road because what did Jesus say? If any man's going to come after me, he's going to have to do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. We live in a world, you guys, that just says, supply yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. You're going to have to follow Jesus. Sometimes that means following him down a hard road. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He may lead you down a hard road, but he will never lead you down the wrong road. When you're following the Holy Spirit's lead, as hard as things may be, you can trust that God is going to produce gospel fruit in his time. Just like we have seen in every trial that the Apostle Paul has faced in the book of Acts. Hardships at every turn. Also gospel fruit at every turn. Trust the Lord. Follow him. He won't take you down wrong roads even if he takes you down a hard road. Well, Paul knows that the road to Jerusalem is going to be a hard one. And with that in mind, here's what he says. Look at verse 24. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Paul would later write to the Philippian church, and he would say what? For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. He didn't count his life as value to himself. He wanted to be with Jesus. He says, If only I may finish my course. Isn't that what he wrote to Timothy later on in 2 Timothy? I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. He says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Guys, 
you know what we see here? We see a man who knew God's calling on his life. He had received his ministry from the Lord Jesus. Remember when we covered this back in Acts chapter 9? Paul is on the road to Damascus, ready to persecute some Christians. And the Lord Jesus speaks to him, literally knocking him off his horse, blinding him. And says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And Jesus reveals himself. And and God completely changes Paul's heart. And then he gives Paul not just a conversion, but a calling And what does Acts chapter 9 verse 15 say about Paul? It says that this is the man that was called to carry the gospel to the Gentiles and to kings and to who? Uh, The children of Israel. So Paul had received his conversion and his calling from the Lord. This is an important part of Christian leadership. Christian leaders need to have a sense of calling from the Lord toward this type of work. Uh, For me, as I was reflecting on this uh, earlier this week, I was thinking back on my earliest memories of, of God calling me. And I have a vivid memory in my mind. I was maybe in middle school or maybe early high school where we were at a church event. And I remember afterwards pulling aside my youth pastor and talking to him and saying, you know, um, I think the Lord may be calling me into um, ministry to be a pastor. And I had a wonderful youth pastor who asked me questions and talked to me about that and prayed with me about that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had more teenagers in our church who end up sensing that call and could talk that through? I'd love to be a church that sends out young men to serve and pastor and plant churches or raises, up, raises them up to be pastors within our church. But that's my earliest memory, talking with my youth pastor about that when I was middle school or high school. My parents, though, they uh, sometimes joke with me and my grandmother jokes with me about how they knew God's calling on my life from a very young age because they said like at age five, when we would go to family reunions down in Arkansas and stuff, my whole family would get, gather around and I would stand up on picnic tables and just start to preach, right? I would take my little uh, notes that I had jotted down during the pastor's sermon or whatever and I would just repeat them, you know? Uh, plagiarism at best at age five, right? So there we go. You know... Uh, Calling. There needs to be a sense of calling in the life of a Christian leader. And that calling is all by God's grace. You know, I, uh, my calling, I believe, started in, in junior high. But, you know, if you know my testimony. The college years came around. I totally rebelled against the Lord and lived my own way in sin for a while. And God got a hold of my life and changed me after college and continued to fulfill his plan for me, brought me into ministry. But I remember people who I had went to college with, they would come to the church where I was at at that time and they would come there and they would say, Jason, wings on staff here. <laughs> I would have never seen that coming. And I would, I would always respond to him, me neither. Like I didn't, you know. Uh, God, yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, here's what happens. God saves sinners by his grace, doesn't he? It's by his grace. If anybody understood that, that was the apostle Paul. God has this way of taking the people that we least expect and turning them into faithful servants of his, you know? And so I just want to say this as a word of encouragement to some of you who have loved ones or friends who are wandering away from the Lord today. Listen, don't give up on them because you just, you never know what God's grace might do in the current rebel. You never know what God's grace might do when he calls that sinner home. God has a a habit in a way of using the people we least expect. Praise God. What a God of grace. This is, uh, this is the grace that Paul says that he would proclaim. He says he was um, called to, to proclaim the message of God's grace. 
Grace, you guys, is when we get something that we don't deserve. And let me just say it plainly this morning. None of us deserve the gracious gift of God himself in our lives. We are sinners. We have rebelled in our minds and in our hearts and in our actions against the Lord. But here's the good news of the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. Jesus came to this world. He lived the righteous life that God demanded that none of us could live. He went on a cross and died like a sinner. Not to pay for his own sins, but to do what? To be a substitute for us. See, the gospel is the good news of the great exchange. At the cross, my sin goes on Jesus. His righteousness gets credited to me. What a wonderful exchange. What a gracious gift. Amen? That's the gospel. See, salvation is not a reward that you earn. It's a gift that you receive. You can't get yourself to God by doing good works. So God gave himself to you in the person of Jesus Christ. So you may be here today and you may be really struggling. Like, I want a life with God. I want to know him. And you may, I don't know your story. At least I don't know all of your stories. But you may be here in church thinking, I want a life with God. I just, I know I need to clean myself up. I know I need to kind of get on track and then I, then I can become a good Christian or I can, and we start to put all this emphasis on our works. But I want to just make it very clear to you today. Being saved isn't about what you've done. It's about what Jesus did for you. And that's the message of the gospel of grace. Jesus did what you couldn't do. He lived righteously on your behalf, perfectly righteous. Jesus did what was deserving to be done to you. He died on the cross in your place. And when you believe in that and you trust in that, then you can become saved, born again. God gives you the gift of salvation. And that's a wonderful gift to receive, the gift of God's grace. Sharing that gospel was the mission of Paul's life. And Paul is telling the Ephesian elders that he intends to to leave from them and go preach this gospel of grace in Jerusalem, which would have been wild because who lives in Jerusalem? Jews. And what do Jews believe in? Jews didn't really embrace the message of grace. They embraced the message of law, deeds, religion. And that's part of why uh, the, the hostility came towards Paul from the Jewish culture. And Paul knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, when he preaches in Pentecost, high number of Jews there at that time, he knows hostility is going to come his way. So let's see what he keeps saying in verse 25. Verse 25 Paul says, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul loves these fellow elders. They are his band of brothers. They know that he's going to Jerusalem. And from there, he wants to go to Rome. So he's going to be on a mission. He's going to be traveling, taking the gospel to the ends of of the earth. And Paul knows that he's not going to see these people again. And so in verse 26, here's what he says. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. See, Paul has a clean conscience before God. As hard as it was to leave these people, he, he felt like he hadn't left any stone unturned. He felt like he had done all that, that God had for him to do among these Ephesian elders. And he says that part of that was 
continuing to, to deliver to them the whole counsel of God. He didn't shrink back from doing so, even when things became very difficult for him in Ephesus. He taught the whole counsel. Guys, I want us to be a church that does that same thing. Whether it's preaching in the pulpit on Sunday morning or whether it's in our classes ministry or whether it's in Sunday school classes with the kids or in our student ministry groups, I want us to be a church that's not afraid to proclaim the whole counsel of God, even if the counsel of God is exactly against the popular opinion of culture. Even if we receive hostility and pushback and aggression, I want us to be faithful to proclaim the whole counsel of God, not just the palatable parts. And that's why I believe it's helpful for us on Sunday mornings to preach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we don't just, as I've said before, we don't just get to pick the easy stuff, the popular stuff. We don't just get to skip the hard stuff. You know, we don't just get to pick our pet doctrines as pastors. All pastors have them, things we'd kind of prefer to preach about, but we don't get to do that. We preach on the topics that arise in scripture, whatever is next in the text. That's what we preach and we don't shrink back. And that's what the that's what Paul wants the Ephesian elders to remember about his example that he had set when he was living among them. Now in verse 28, in the next series of verses, Paul starts to tell them as elders, here's what you need to do. First he says, remember what I did among you. Now he's saying, here's what you need to do. Verse 28, here's what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, or some of your translations of scripture will we'll say to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So what I want to do right here, just based off this one verse, I want to point out four observations about church elders, four things that you should expect from your church elders, four things that myself and the other elders of our church need to believe and embrace and display in the way that we do our ministry. Four observations about elders in the church. First one is this, elders have lives that are devoted to the Lord. Elders ought to have lives that are devoted to the Lord. Paul tells these Ephesians elders to keep watch over yourselves, right? Being an elder is not just about watching everybody else's life. It also has to do with looking in your life, seeing if you are leading by example in the way that you live. Elders are to be exemplary men, not sinless, but exemplary. And that's why uh, Paul would later write to Timothy and to Titus in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And he would tell Timothy and Titus, who, by the way, were missionary workers out preaching the gospel, planting churches like Paul. He tells them, hey, when you get ready to appoint elders in churches, here's what you need to look for. And he gives qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But the bottom line from that, as elders are to be men who are above reproach, exemplary to the church. Elders have lives that are devoted to the Lord. That's the first observation. Here's the second. Elders are called by the Spirit of the Lord. Elders are called, elders are called by the Spirit of the Lord. In verse 28, Paul says that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit makes elders. Pastors don't make other elders. Churches don't make elders. Christian colleges and seminaries don't ultimately make elders. God makes elders. Sometimes he uses the means of those entities that I just mentioned, but ultimately it is God who makes a man an elder. Paul didn't have a seminary to go to the way we have them now, right? He was following the call of God on his life. So when you have a, a, a Christian leader in your church, when you're looking for somebody to be a pastor or an elder in your church, you need to be looking for somebody who has a sense of calling from the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in 
First Timothy chapter three, verse one, if any man aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. That is really the foundational characteristic that you should be looking for in the life of an elder. Is there, is there an aspiration? Is there a, a desire within his heart that won't go away to do the work of eldering? There must be a calling, a Holy Spirit aspiration in their hearts. So elders are to be devoted to the Lord. Elders are made by the Lord. Third, elders will know that the church is the Lord's. Elders know that the church is the Lord's, right? The, the elders will affirm and proclaim what Paul stated here, that this is the church of God that he obtained with his blood. So elders, yes, are to take personal responsibility for the church, for overseeing the church. They are to take ownership in that manner, but they are to fully understand that ultimately the church belongs to the Lord. And so let me just say it plainly this morning. UBC is the Lord's church. It's not mine, it's not the elders, it's not the staffs, it's not even yours. UBC is the Lord's church. The church belongs to the Lord. Elders know this because elders know that the church is the Lord's. And the last thing is that elders will care for the people of the Lord. Again, verse 28, Paul tells these elders, care for the church of God. That phrase care for is often translated uh, shepherd. Greek language poimeno, it it's, means to, to pastor or to shepherd, meaning that elders are to do the work of pastoring or shepherding just like a shepherd would care for a flock. So at UBC, we tend to summarize the responsibilities of elders in this shepherding language. We say that our, the summary of our responsibility can be um, broken down into four main points. We say that the elders are responsible for leading, feeding, tending, and defending the flock. Leading, feeding, tending, and defending. The elders are responsible for leading by providing directional leadership and vision to the church. The elders are responsible for feeding by providing doctrinal leadership and teaching to the church. The elders are responsible for tending by providing compassionate leadership and personal prayer and care for the church. And the elders are responsible for defending by providing protective leadership in the church, correcting sin, disciplining, disciplining sin, guarding from false teaching coming in. So elders are to care for the people of the Lord. So this last idea of caring for the church by defending it is what Paul is going to get at here in verse 29 through 31. So listen to what he says here. He says that, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Imagine being a group of Ephesian elders saying, Paul's about to leave. The guy we've learned from is about to be gone. And now here's what he says. Fierce wolves are about to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul is saying, part of the work of the elder is to watch out for the wolves. Fierce wolves that want to come in, devour the flock. He says, you got to be especially careful because there's going to be wolves that arise from among you. And when they do, they're going to use their teaching voice and their influence to speak twisted things and draw people away from Jesus and to, their own, their own, to, to themselves. 
So the role of an elder is to guard God's sheep from the deceptive messages of wolves, which means elders got to be paying attention, alert, doctrinally savvy, not ignorant, not lazy, not burying our heads in the sand when it comes to being what's being taught in the church. We must care for the flock, appealing to them to understand God's word, believe God's word, and stay faithful to God's word. And that's why sometimes false teaching, ideas of false teaching need to be addressed in the church. It's sometimes why uh, false teachers every once in a while need to be named in the church. We see Paul doing that in his ministry in the New Testament. It's why we need to guard the church through the means of church discipline, helping people turn away from sin and Yes, by God's grace, be restored to the Lord when there is repentance, but when there is not repentance, to protect the church by practicing church discipline and disfellowshipping from members of the church. The elders are to lead the charge in the protection from false teachers and from wolves. Elders defend the sheep, and they do so by helping the sheep embrace God's word and live according to it. And so Paul emphasizes this in his next sentence. Look at verse 32. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul is commending them to the Lord, to the truth from the Lord that he has taught them, the whole counsel. When Paul says, I commend you to the Lord, Sometimes we read that and we think of it as recommending, but actually here what the word commending means, it means to, um, to turn them over to someone else's care. To entre- so he's saying, I entrust you into the care of the Lord because he's about to leave and he's not going to play any leadership role among them any longer. He continues in verse 33. He says, I coveted no, no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So Paul is emphasizing the fact that elders are to be guys that work hard. You know, eldering in the church, pastoring in the church isn't supposed to be just some easy paycheck on the way to retirement, you know? It's not like some some job that you take because it's 40 hours and done. So we kind of have to, those of you who, who may have a sense of calling towards God's uh, work, in, you know, leadership in the church and pastoring and eldership, you've got to understand that this is, um, this is not some cushy, do the minimum hours kind of mindset that pervades our culture. At the same time, it's also not some uh, thing where you just think to yourself, hey, if I do this job, then I can, I can get rich and I can make money off the backs of the church. Paul is saying, no, you're going to have to work hard. And you're going to have to live a life of generosity, helping the needy, because Jesus said it's more uh, blessed to give than to receive. So those who are leading in the church are going to have to live a life that shows they are more about giving than getting. And that needs to be a mark of their life. And they need to trust what Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than receive. Well, in verse 36 through 38, we have a closing scene of sorts. Um, It says this in verse 36. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. So they accompanied him to the ship. You can see that these fellow elders had Come to love Paul. If you've ever had a moment in your life where you've had to say goodbye to a pastor or a church leader that God was calling on to the next thing, 
um, and you felt close to that person, but you had to say goodbye, that's difficult. And that's the, the picture that's going on here. Paul was close to these guys. They were his brothers. They embraced each other. They wept together. They prayed together. But now it was time to say goodbye. And it was time for them to take on the leadership role that God had raised them up for. And it was Paul, time for Paul to move on to the next leadership role that God had given him. See, here's the thing. Paul had prepared them to lead after he leaves. And that is a mark of healthy, biblically faithful church leadership that you're training others in your church to lead after you leave. Because the, the reality is that if any church is totally dependent upon the leadership of one man, that is a totally unhealthy church. That's why I love that in our church we have a plurality of elders. I, it's what we see from Jesus, right? That he, he himself came and he raised up other disciples who after he resurrected and ascended to heaven, they could continue on and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. He entrusted the ministry to them. And that's part of what godly leaders will do. That's what we see Paul doing here with the Ephesian elders. Now, having covered that section, let's end with some practical takeaways for us. Three practical takeaways. The first one is this. Church family, will you pray for our elders to faithfully carry out our calling together? Would you make it a part of your schedule? Somehow make a plan to regularly, consistently, intentionally pray for the elders of our church? Right now we have four elders. Me, Scott Dixon, Harry Steck, and Jeff Vanskoy. And we ask you to pray for us. You've learned a lot about the calling and the responsibilities of the elders from this text today. Our responsibility is to lead, feed, tend, and defend the ministry, the church body here at UBC. And we, we understand that we are to do so in a way that's not above the church body, but among the church body, where you can see our lives and watch our example. And let me just be honest with you, like, there's some pressure that comes with that. Our lives are under a microscope in a fishbowl differently than many other people's lives are. And it's not just difficult for us, but pray for our wives. Pray for our children because there can be a challenge that comes with knowing that everybody is uh, watching your life. So pray for us. Thank you, Brad, uh, for praying for us earlier in the service today. Pray that our elders will be faithful to the calling. Pray that our elders will continue to invest our lives in the others that God is raising up to take the baton after our time here is done. And let me just say it just in case you're wondering, no, I'm not planning to leave, okay? Uh, but I'll say this, my life is the Lord's and he can call me home or he can call me elsewhere at any time. And my prayer is that our elders who he has raised up will be able to faithfully pastor this church whether or not any of us are here. I'm so thankful for Harry and Scott and Jeff as godly men in this church who love the Lord and are committed to leading you guys as a church body. Any of them could lead after I leave. And we pray that the Lord will keep raising up others who are called and qualified 
and eventually commissioned out by our church to, to serve as elders. Which leads to my, my second takeaway that I want to ask you today. Would you consider if the Holy Spirit is calling you into eldership? Would you consider that? Um, we saw in our text today that the Apostle Paul was constrained by the Holy Spirit. He had a calling on his life from the Holy Spirit. We saw also that the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian elders, uh, Paul said that you were made by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made them overseers. Which means that, again, calling is going to be in the hearts of some of God's people. And I, I wonder, is it you? You know, is it you? I wonder if there are some men in our church who know that the Lord has been calling you into eldership and pastoring in the local church. You have this burning desire, this, you know, unusual care and concern for the people of God. And, and you have this desire to do the work of leading, feeding, tending, and defending. And I just want to say, if that's you, I want to ask you to share it. Share it with me. I want to know. I want to pray with you. I want to hear from you. I want to help, by God's grace, equip and help you discern God's call on your life. I know that some of us may have that sense of calling on our life. And you can struggle to like totally surrender that to the Lord because a lot of times we, we feel like we're called, but we're not yet qualified. And so we don't really talk about it because we know the sin that's in our hearts and the struggles that we have. Let me, just, let me just say this to you. Becoming an elder and a pastor in the church, it's a process. There's calling and then there's qualification. God qualifies those who he calls. If he calls you, he will qualify you. And then the church will recognize that and commission you for service. That, it's a process. So share it. Even if you, you don't yet believe you're qualified, share it. We want to pray with you. Because what have we said all along? If the Holy Spirit is calling you, then you can trust wherever he's leading you. The Holy Spirit may sometimes call you down a hard road, but he'll never call you down the wrong road. Trust the Holy Spirit's call. Last Here's the last takeaway. Church family, I want to just call us this morning to keep trusting Jesus as the chief shepherd of our church. You guys have heard me say this. Sometimes I feel like a broken record about this, but I just can't say it enough. The elders are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus leads his church, doesn't he? Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus leads his church. Jesus also feeds his church. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you'll never go hungry, John 6, 35. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So like Peter, we say, Jesus, you alone have the words of life. So where, where else are we gonna go? Jesus leads his church. Jesus feeds his church. Jesus tends to his church. Doesn't Jesus care so lovingly for his church? What does he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and you will find rest for your soul. We can, the scripture says we can cast all our cares on him knowing that he does what? He cares for us. The scripture says that our Lord Jesus, in Hebrews 7.25, ever lives to make intercession for us. He's the one who is the good shepherd. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one because Jesus tends to his church. So Jesus leads, Jesus feeds, Jesus tends, and Jesus defends his church. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. All, the fa all who the, the Father has given him, he will keep, and no man can snatch them out of his hand. He is the one who is willing to do what? Be faithful and guard us against the evil one, 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says. 
And Jesus is the one who builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because Jesus leads, feeds, tends, and defends his church. So church family, we must always honor and recognize Jesus as our chief shepherd. We can trust him. Trust our chief shepherd to raise up under shepherds as elders because God reaches the world through the work of the local church and calls elders to faithfully lead it. Let's pray. Lord, again, this morning, I just want to thank you for allowing me to not just preach this passage this week, but to study it and soak in it and be encouraged by it and convicted by it. And I just want to praise you publicly for the work that you've done in my heart through this particular passage again this morning. And so, Lord, I pray now for our church that whether you call people to live the rest of their lives here at UBC or to eventually call them to serve you in other churches elsewhere, I pray that our church would look for biblically faithful, called and qualified elders who are following you as a chief shepherd. I pray, Lord, for people in our church who have a sense of calling on their life and that burning desire to shepherd your flock just won't go away. I pray that today you would let them express their calling, even if they don't feel that they're yet qualified. I pray that you would let them remember grace and trust your Holy Spirit and never lead them down a wrong road. And Lord, I pray that as we go on as a church, that you would magnify yourself as the chief shepherd of this body, that we would trust you as the good shepherd who has laid down his life for us, your sheep. And we know, Lord Jesus, that you will never lead us astray. It's in your precious name, I pray. Amen.